Good morning, everyone. Uh, let me uh, pray for us before we read uh, together. Father, we just sang uh, in that song that you are the lovely source of true delight. And you know those of us who sang that, and we were thinking about it, and we believe it, and we hope in it, and we rest in it. And you know those of us who kind of mumbled our way through that line, not even sure what it means. And you know others of us who, who want to feel that it's true but don't or can't. So, Father, we ask that you would be happy to break through all of that stuff in our lives. Whatever would keep us from affirming that with a full heart and voice, that you'd break through all that stuff, meet us in the places where we are. Meet those of us who have faith and those of us who do not yet have faith and those of us who feel really close to you and those of us who feel far from you. Meet all of us and show us Jesus' grace and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, we are uh, reading Mark's Gospel together, and this morning we're going to look at the only passage in Mark's Gospel that is not uh, entirely about Jesus. Uh, After the first few lines, it's actually a flashback to something that happened before Jesus started his his public ministry. It is the uh, sordid and unseemly tale of how Herod Antipas dealt with John the Baptist back when his uh, back was against the wall. So let me read from the end of Mark 6 for us, and you can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read uh, Mark 6, verses 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring Herod's head. 
he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is God's word, and it is given for our good. I don't, I don't think I've ever mentioned this in a sermon before. Um, I don't think, but it is something that my family can assure you is true. I, I am a big fan of fail videos, um, fail videos on YouTube, you know, epic fails, fail army. I love all of that stuff. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Their number is uh, Legion on the web. It's these compilations of short clips of things like uh, skateboarders whose tricks go gloriously wrong um, or skiers who plow into everyone who is waiting at the bottom of the hill for the chairlift or sideline reporters with their backs turned to the action who get plowed over by huge football players and people just slipping on ice. (laughs) And I love all of that stuff. Um, And I don't know fully why. I'm certainly open to the idea that it might mean that there's something wrong with me. Some of the staff were joking earlier this week that we should do a fourth Wednesday on fail videos and what the gospel says about them and the people who like them. I don't want that, really. Um, (laughs) But I think that one of the reasons that uh, they're compelling to me is that strange mixture of attraction and revulsion that they exhibit, that they elicit all at once. I mean, sometimes you have to kind of watch these things through your fingers, you know? You, you know exactly what's going to happen. Somebody's going to get cracked in the noggin, but you, you can't look away until it happens. And I bring this up because Mark tells us that something like that is going on with Herod when it comes to John the Baptist. Maybe you caught it when we read it together. Mark says that Herod feared John. Herod's wife wanted him dead, but Herod just couldn't bring himself to do it. And the reason that he didn't do it, that he didn't kill him, is pretty curious and pretty telling. When he heard John preach, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Herod knew, every time he heard John preach, Herod knew exactly what he was going to hear from John, and it messed him up every single time. But there was something so compelling in what John was saying that he had to listen, and listen gladly. It's like he listened to John, you know, through his fingers. I feel like that sometimes. Um, Not about fail videos I think that's how the truth often works in human beings. That's certainly what's going on with Herod. I mean, for all kinds of reasons, we do not want our way of looking at life to be disturbed. We don't want our way of living and being in this world to get messed up. And yet there is something deep inside us telling us from time to time that that's what we really need. And the truth sounds deep inside of us in those moments precisely because it's true. So I think this is a really good story for people like us to hear and think about this morning. 
So we've been reading Mark together, and we've seen over and over again that Jesus' identity keeps coming up in all kinds of different ways. Now, at the very beginning of his gospel, Mark told us, in the very first line, he told us who he believes that Jesus is and who he wants us to see and believe that Jesus is. Way back in the very first line, he says that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the true King of the world. Right, so we have the advantage of knowing where Mark is heading with all of this, but everyone else in the story, everybody else in that story is scrambling. I mean, it's clear to everybody around Jesus that he is more than a carpenter from Nazareth, but no one can quite pin down what that more is about Jesus, about who he is. Just last week, Pastor David talked to us about that story um, of Jesus going to his hometown and, and the people in his hometown realize, wow, he is, is not who we thought that he was. And it is incredibly threatening to them. And they reject him. So now Mark wants us to know that the question of Jesus' identity has filtered up to the political gentry of the day. Herod has heard about Jesus. And so the elites talk about him uh, together, and uh, their opinions are probably pretty much just like what the popular opinions were of Jesus at that point. Some of the elites thought that he was Elijah, that Jesus was Elijah. Elijah was a prophet who had disappeared under mysterious circumstances hundreds of years before. Maybe that's who he is. Others thought, no, he's just one of the prophets of old, one of those fiery ones, just like we used to have. And others thought that maybe it was John the Baptist raised from the dead. So this, this is news to us. This thing about John being dead, this is news to us because we as readers don't know that John is dead until this moment. The last time we heard from John, way back in chapter 1, he had been locked up to languish in prison. We didn't know who locked him up. We didn't know why. But that's all about to become really clear So back to this thing about Jesus' identity. They're talking about it, and Herod is absolutely sure. He's absolutely sure he knows who Jesus is. He says, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. That's who Herod thinks Jesus is. John the Baptist, I took his head off, and now he is coming back to haunt me. Now, the fact that Herod goes to such a drastic and strange place, to such a strange conclusion, tells us a little bit about Herod. His story was a strange and sad story. When his father, Herod the Great, died, his kingdom was divided into four smaller regions and given away to four of his sons. And Herod Antipas, which is the Herod that we're reading about in this story, got Galilee and some other nearby regions. And Herod Antipas is not really a king. He's really just a colonial administrator. His title is Tetrarch, not king. So when Mark calls him king, he's just reflecting the popular way that people referred to Herod. Lots of people called him king. But I also think that Mark is being ironic And the reason I think Mark is being ironic is because Herod had actually petitioned Rome after he came to power. He had petitioned Rome for the title king. Please, emperor, tell them to call me king. And he is rejected. They will not call you king. So that's Herod. He is a would-be 
king, a frustrated pretender king. So this is where Mark starts the flashback and fills in all of the details. Jesus' identity, who he is, kind of takes a back seat for the rest of the story. And everything else is about Herod and John. It was Herod who put John in prison. Now, we talked about John way back in September. He, he was the one who appeared virtually out of nowhere to tell people that they need to get ready. He told everybody they need to get ready because God is acting soon to keep his promise. He is going to very soon send the true king of the world. So John came out announcing this kingdom, this peace, this coming king who was going to redeem his people, who was going to start the process of remaking the world in justice to the place that it was created to be in the first place. And here's what John did when he announced that kingdom. He, he forcefully told everyone who came to hear him that their lives were a mess. John would say any, to anyone who would listen to him that they probably had a lot of things that they needed to sort out, a lot of things that they needed to get right before this true king of the world shows up. I mean, no pun intended, but John the Baptist took no prisoners when he preached. And this is what gets him sideways with the powers that be. In particular, this is what gets him sideways with Herod's wife, who is confusingly named Herodias. Here, here's the story of Herod and his wife. Herod had convinced Herodias to divorce his half-brother Philip in order to marry him, and she did. That's pretty bad. Um, but it gets worse. In the strange way that the Herodian family tree worked, because Herod the Great had ten wives, Herodias also happens to be Herod's niece. Jucky. Pretty sordid, the whole thing. And this is the reason that John has no problem telling Herod, Herod, this is not right. You have got to get this sorted out. It is not okay. And strangely, it is not Herod who is bothered by that. It's his wife. It makes Herodias so angry that she wants John dead. So I think it would be helpful to stop for a second and for us to think about this. I think there's lots of reasons that Mark tells this story with this much detail. He's the only one of the gospel writers who tells us this much about what happened. And I think he does it for a bunch of reasons, but I am certain that one of them is for the politics of it, because John spoke the truth to power. It got him locked up, and eventually it got him killed. Because the kingdom and the rule that John was announcing, the kingdom and the rule that, that John said God is about ready to bring onto the scene, it pressed up against the kingdom and rule of his day. And when that happens, more often than not, the powers that be feel threatened and they feel angry and they feel fearful and they do what they can to shut out the dissenting voice. I love the way that the Apostle John talks about the resolution of that tension between these two kingdoms. We heard about it when Neil read the New Testament lesson this morning. 
John looks forward to this day when, as he puts it, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of the Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. John says there is a day coming when all of the kingdoms of the world will melt away and all that will be left forever and ever is the kingdom of God, this one that John came announcing, this one that Jesus brought to this world. Church, that day, that day is coming for sure. It it is the answer to the prayer that we pray all of the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That day is coming for sure, but until it arrives, God's people are always going to have to be in the spot of speaking truth to power. It doesn't matter, believe me, it does not matter who is the powers that be at the time, whether it's the left or the right or any other label you want to slap on it. It doesn't matter. There will always be things in human rules that press up against and are incompatible with the gracious and peaceable and just kingdom of God. That kingdom, church, that kingdom is and always has to be our first and ordering allegiance. And so that means that our voices will often be dissenting voices. It means that our voices will be voices that the powers often feel threatened and angered by. And this is what happens to John. You know, his martyrdom is not the tragedy in the story, not even by a long shot. The tragedy in the story is Herod, which we will get back to in a minute. John's martyrdom is simply a token of the truth that he spoke to power. He knew that the kingdom of the world would eventually become the kingdom of Jesus. So that enabled him to speak as a faithful witness and to speak in constant hope. That is for sure one of the things Mark wants us to see and wants us to do. We are not married, church. We are not married to any earthly power. And it is dangerous when we want to be. We are married only to Christ. And that means that we have a calling to be a faithful witness to his kingdom and to do it in constant hope. So there's John. His his pesky insistence that a political leader's fitness to lead should be tied to at least a modicum of morality That's what gets him in hot water. Herodias wants him dead. And Herod's response to his wife is a compromise, a fearful compromise. He doesn't want to kill John. In fact, he he fears John, and he finds John to be a righteous man. He thinks John is a holy man. So he throws him in prison, which is the way Mark tells us that he kept him safe. And here's where things get really strange. He still listens to John preach. Now, it's not clear if he gets John out of prison to come up to the royal court for these 
clandestine preachments or whether Herod ambles his way down to the royal slammer to hear these sermons through prison bars. We don't know how this happened, but what's really clear to us is that strange mixture of attraction and repulsion that has Herod in thrall. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. John, John preached justice, not a fake, selective, agenda-driven parody of justice, but the real thing, real justice, where evil is put away forever and the innocent suffer no more. John preached peace. Not the fake kind of peace that Herod was familiar with. The Roman kind of peace that was really just propped up with the threat of swift, merciless, retaliatory violence. But the real thing, real peace, where every human relationship is filled with flourishing and goodness and deference, where everything is, is as it was created to be. John preached about God, not some hazy, far-off, misty God, but a red-blooded God who loves us so much that he keeps his promises even when it costs him, even when it makes him look ridiculous. And let us never forget, church, ever, that John preached the forgiveness of sins. Not all that weird stand-in stuff that we accept on behalf of forgiveness or instead of forgiveness, like, you know, sweeping things under the rug or just telling people it's okay, it doesn't matter so much anyway, or renaming things to make them less than what they really are. No, John preached real forgiveness, the real thing where God says, I've got this, and I will pay your debt so that you don't ever have to and I'll do it because I love you, even you, Herod. Even a Herod whose morality is so deeply compromised. Even a Herod who has made some awful, awful choices. So Herod, he heard all of that when John preached, and, and Mark doesn't get really specific about what about that made him glad, but it's not too hard for us to have to sort out. John spoke hope. He spoke hope to a guy whose heart was disordered and whose heart was disheveled, and he spoke peace to a guy who, who had for his whole life made decisions, almost every single one of them, out of fear and out of insecurity. He painted he painted a picture of God whose kingdom was so beautiful that it caught in Herod's throat. It was nothing like his kingdom. It was nothing like what he did. And it was beautiful to him. And he, he heard that he could be forgiven. <laughs> Even him. John said, Herod, listen, you're not past it. There's hope for a guy like you. You, Herod, can be forgiven. You can know God's love. But at the same time, it was all really, really distressing to him. It perplexed him because if he really believed those things and lived out of believing those things, then he knew his whole life was going to have to change, starting probably with this job that had afforded him so much privilege and so much power. 
It would mean that he'd have to start making choices not based on what fed him and his ego and his good, but on what fed other people and what was for their good. It'd mean that he'd have to give up on a lot of the stuff that he had propped up around himself for security and for comfort. He'd have to give up on that stuff and find security and comfort in something else that he didn't really have control over and that he didn't fully understand. So you know what, church? I think Herod is right there. He is right there in the middle of the boat with the disciples in that squall on the Sea of Galilee with the waves splashing up everywhere. He is right there. He is right there with that synagogue leader whose daughter was dying face down in the dusty road with him in front of Jesus. He is right there with that beautiful woman, diseased, scared out of her mind, hopes she can just creep up behind Jesus and touch him. He is right there with those Nazarene villagers amazed and threatened by their native son. Herod is right there with them, standing at the crossroads between fear and faith trying to figure out which way he's going to go. Maybe you know what that feels like. I know I do. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering about this Jesus that the church talks so much about, seems to be so fond of. You're hearing about these things like peace and justice and the forgiveness of sins and the love of God and you want to believe they're real. And that maybe you could just reach out and just get a touch of them. But at the same time, maybe you're fearful for what that might mean in your life. Like for all of the things that have stood in for security and comfort. They haven't worked that great, but at least they're predictable. Maybe they'll have to be given up for something you don't quite understand. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus. You've been a Christian for a long time, but you're facing some really hard thing the loss of someone that you love. Maybe you're at a really difficult spot in a close relationship. Maybe you are facing physical suffering or loneliness or doubt. And you're at that crossroads between believing what God says about these things and how to live in and out of these things, or on the other hand, running the board yourself, which again, hasn't worked out super great but at least it's predictable. At least it doesn't take you into the unknown. Listen, there is no coincidence at all that Mark keeps telling us stories about people who are in those kinds of places. Mark keeps telling us those stories because those are the kinds of places that people like us find ourselves in all of the time. And he is pressing us. He's pressing us gently, but he is pressing us insistently into making a choice in those moments. And he's shown us over and over and over again that the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for in those moments doesn't have to be sterling. It doesn't have to be strong. It doesn't have to be unassailable by doubt or any other thing. 
Jesus has made it clear it just needs to be faith. Halting faith, shaky faith, creeping up behind Jesus to just touch him faith. Faith that doesn't understand absolutely everything. All of that's okay. Because for Jesus, the thing is not the quality of our faith. It is the object that matters. And that's him. (laughs) And it is more than enough. And Herod keeps hearing about this guy, this mighty one who's going to come, this beautiful king of the world who's coming in this, this incredible kingdom. And he gladly hears it because it sounds so good and true. Even though it completely messes with all of his ideas about his own life and how to run it, even though it completely messes with everything he thinks about living in the world, because the truth is sounding deep inside him. Because he knows it's true. (laughs) So what's he going to do? Well, you know, we, we heard the story. Herod throws himself a birthday party with all of the most powerful people in attendance. And he's drinking way too much. And the entertainment for the evening is Herodias' daughter from her first marriage. Mark doesn't tell us her name, but we know from other historians that it's Salome. And Mark is very tactful in telling us about this dance that she did, but the subtext is powerful enough that we know precisely what that was all about. Herod likes it so much that he drunkenly offers her anything, up to half his kingdom, which is a really stupid thing for a guy with no kingdom to give to say. Salome checks with her mom to see what she would ask for, and the response comes back quick. The head of John the Baptist. Get me the head of that preacher. Which Salome does with her own gruesome flourish, that it be placed on a serving platter. So Herod, exceedingly sorry, and too afraid to look afraid at his own party, sends the executioner off to do the job. And with this one rash choice, Herod does away with the only person who ever had the nerve to tell him the truth for his own good. It is a real tragedy, genuine. Not for John, who probably preached to the executioner, but for Herod. We don't hear much more about him until the very end of Jesus' story, where we hear from Luke that he mocked the mighty one that John told him was coming. He mocked the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who would have taken away Herod's if he had believed. And just a few years later, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Herod petitioned Rome one more time to be called the king. Please, 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 emperor, make them call me king. And Caligula responds by banishing him to Gaul, where he died alone. There there was this moment, there, there was this window into which the sun was brightly streaming and Herod closed the drapes and he darkened the room. 
Mark keeps giving us pictures like that. He keeps piling on pictures like that so we'll recognize those moments in our own lives. The ones at the fork in the road with fear on one side and faith on the other. Those moments when our whole view of the world is getting messed with, when our whole view of how we ought to live and be in this world is being upended by the truth because it is working its way winsomely inside us and it is sounding deep in us because it is true. Mark wants us to hear Jesus' voice in those moments, saying to us what he said to that man whose daughter was dying. Don't fear only believe. Church, Herod's tragic life is a pointer. It is a pointer to seizing those moments whenever they come. Let me pray for us. Father, help us, help us, help us, <laughs> whoever we are, to see when those moments are right there in front of us and to seize on them, to cast away fear and to believe. Use whatever you need to. Use other people. Speak to us through your spirit, your word. Use whatever you can to help us to see those moments and cling in faith to Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, but to cling to him and not worry whether our faith is shaky just to do it. Father, we ask that you would help us to cling to him in faith for our good, for the good of our families and friends, for the good of this broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.